Welcome to What's Korean Cinema, episode 61 on Proje- Project Wolf Hunting, Midnight and the Moon. I, I, I started a little bit and that's because it's also a little bit of new uh, episode structure and experience for us. It's, it's not a massive episode with three extensive film reviews, despite the title covering Project Wolf Hunting, Midnight and the Moon. But Robert, this is a little experimental, even informal session where I tap our Korean cinema experts' expertise uh, so we can drum up some maybe excitement about a couple of recent-ish Korean films that are hitting the screens, are hitting streaming, and are hitting or have hit disc already. So consider this like a quick walkthrough for each film, uh, perhaps some quick opinions along the way. In some cases, maybe not if a film is about to hit the screens. That doesn't mean uh, our Korean cinema experts have access uh, to it. Uh, so there's your What's Korean Cinema triple threat set up for you. I'm Kenny B and said Korean cinema expert. I've said that three times already and he is Paul Quinn. Hello. Hello. I don't know if an expert's the right word. You know, guy. Korean cinema guy. Bloke. Fella. Hello everybody. Nice to see you. Who is sitting on a, a fountain of knowledge in my in my eyes. Uh, eyes and ears. It's a chair. It's a chair. It's a chair. It's not a fountain. It's a chair. If it's a fountain that would be that would be very, very inappropriate and quite wet. Anyway, carry on. Let's get this uh, going with some uh, brief uh, contact information and plugging. Uh, this is What's Korean Cinema. We're part of the Podcast on Fine Network, our back catalogue of shows. For instance, uh, this year we don't do this weekly. For instance, this year we've done two shows. One show earlier in March on Ilmer, and one accompanying uh, bonus episode only for the website on the remake the Lake House, starring Keanu Reeves and Sandra Bullock. And uh, we do this a couple of times a year, and we have a back catalogue of uh, 60 other episodes. Hence, uh, this is the 61st. So, podcastonfire.com, social media links to uh, Facebook, to to Twitter, now known as X, blah, blah, blah. Uh, we're, uh, we're over there as Podcast on Fire Network, Podcast on Fire on Twitter or X, and uh, I have a little review archive on SoGoodReviews.com. I write about Hong Kong and Taiwanese movies, mainly online on said uh, changed uh, social media platform in terms of name, but I also post on uh, Letterboxd and my own uh, page on uh, Facebook. So I've not stopped writing about Hong Kong and Taiwanese uh, films. I've just uh, stopped publishing them on my website, but uh, they're going up there. I'm, uh, I always have the, uh, I, I, I do have the need to write. I watch a lot of films and some sometimes quite often thoughts need to be uh, put on paper and uh, I've just changed the kind of uh, platform. So uh, I'll uh, link to my letterbox. I'm so good reviews over there. You can find uh, us on uh, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and wherever you find podcasts. So, I know you've been working quite a bit, so your your website is uh, is a little bit of uh, in limbo, I would say, but it's still it still has a great great uh, and uh, versatile archive there of both film reviews and other stuff you've done. So, if you're not uh, too uncomfortable to plug something that hasn't published a review in a little bit, then you're free to do so. I'm completely honest about the fact that yeah there has been a little bit of limbo we're 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 reassessing re looking at stuff new stuff will be coming when there's been there's been a lot in real life that's been stepping in the way not least the blistering heat waves which decimate me and i just can't i can't even function so but you know even in the thing the films the new films we're talking about tonight several of the other films that are going to be mentioned there are already reviews on Hangul Celluloid, which is my website, um, hangulcelluloid.com. Always worth having a little browse about. There's a little Google search bar at the bottom of the 
the homepage where if you just search a movie or an actor, it'll bring up the relevant page, along with probably a link to an Amazon to buy thing. They seem to pop up quite a lot. But I'm having a sign your You can find me on Facebook and Twitter. Both links to those are, again, on the homepage of HangoSendular.com. Kidoki, let's get into this um, new episode uh, structure uh, where I kind of take a back seat, but obviously still gonna, I'm going to moderate this uh, sort of trek through free films on different platforms. And yes, they might share platform, as a matter of fact. There can be a cinema release and a streaming release, obviously, but we're, we're, uh, we're, we're splitting them up in a distinct way that I hope will make sense. So first of all, in the streaming or digital category i have picked a movie i know by name but i haven't seen called project wolf hunting from 2022 and the plot uh, goes as uh, follows uh, while under heavily armed guard the dangerous convicts aboard a cargo ship unite in a coordinated ex- escape attempt that soon escalates into a bloody all-out riot but as the fugitives continue their brutal campaign of terror they soon discover that not even the most vicious among them is safe from the horror they are knowingly unleashed from the darkness below deck. So that might be a late-breaking spoiler, I don't know. Uh, but we are not going to spoil the entire thing, obviously. Um, uh, so we're going to do the availability first here to sort of set the tone where you can find Project Wolf Hunting. And you can find it pretty easily across common regions such as the US and the UK. There are plenty of options. In the US, you can rent and buy it digitally on Amazon Prime, Google Video, YouTube, Apple TV, and so forth. In the UK, essentially the same situation. You, you can rent it for as low as £1.99. So there's no excuse to, uh, it's easy to try it out, is the point here. And uh, maybe it will come to net- Netflix for free streaming. I don't know, but uh, this is uh, av- availability um, at the time of recording. So I'm going to move on to, as I said, we're not going to do extensive sections here, but some context I'm interested in. And some context I think needs to be um, put in place. So let's talk about the director a little bit, Kim Hong Seon, who is not a new pup. Or a young pup, really, being, being born in 1969 after all. <laughs> so, uh, he has a TV series and five films uh, under his belt as a writer and director. And across those films and TV series, uh, including uh, Wolf Hunting, his film here, is he a director who has made critics notice him at all? Audiences uh, notice him at all? And uh, uh, it's a two-parter, obviously. And uh, so you can conclude with how did Project Wolf Hunting do when it was released uh, in September 2022 in Korea. So let's paint uh, the picture of the director a little bit first. Kim Hong Seong is one of those directors that every time he's appeared, it's almost like he's a first time, you know, the first time directors appear and they say, great, great effort for a first shot. Can't wait to see what they do next. And it's sort of plagued him the whole way he's gone along. He'll always have something good said about him, but it's always, can't wait to see what he does next because... His things are seen as okay, adequate. You know, um, he did a film, his first, one of his earliest films, Traffickers, in 2012, was well thought of because of what was going to come next. They thought the con artist, very much his take on a Ryu Sung Wan sort of actiony, you know, heisty sort of thing, kind of lackluster, passable, half watchable. He did The Chase, which 
almost tried to channel a lot of movies that we're actually going to talk about with the next film we're going to mention because there's a lot of cat and mouse stuff going on in it, but we'll talk about that when we come. He's almost been beaten up by his own not quite there yet. And for Project Wolf Hunting, I certainly, when I read the scenario and saw the first section of it, thought, this is him saying, okay, you don't think I can do excess? I can do excess. And he almost goes out of his way to excess his excess. And when I when I give you my little mini review in, in a couple of minutes, you'll hear what I thought about that. So that paints the picture of the director. Um, I don't know how his prior movies did commercially, but... Average were very much, for his previous films, very much middle ground. You know, not, nothing in the the top whatever. It was always, you know, 35, 45, 55 in the year out of the 100. You know, very... Yeah, if there's nothing else to go and watch, let's go and watch that because at least it'll be a couple of hours of entertainment, which is which is a harsh thing to put it across like that. But that's the way he's sort of been seen. As far as Project Wolf Hunting goes, it cost the equivalent of nine million dollars to make and it made just under two and a half million at the box office. So it flopped majorly which is i guess part of the reason why it's now so ubiquitous on streaming platforms because they're trying to claw some money back do you think uh no we, we might jump the gun a little bit here but uh, w- w- was there a lack of uh, compelling faces for a commercial turnout or, or was it too harsh you think yeah, because i gather it's a gory film in 1978 acdc released a live album called if you want blood you've got it that should be the tagline to Project Wolf Hunting. I've been trying since I, I watched it, since I rented it just for this podcast, I've been trying to think of another film that has as much excessive gore and bloodshed as Project Wolf Hunting from anywhere in the world. And I can't think of anything that comes close. The excess of blood is in your face literally from the first moment to the last and it will stay with you that's what will stay with you maybe too much um too too much of an assault on the senses of the local movie going audience you think well there there are many more problems than that yes maybe but you know korean cinema has never been shy of you know, hammer fights, ballets with knives, you know, just try, think of Train to Busan and that gorgeous dance in the dark. Those are brutal as hell. Nothing to the brutality, the, the sheer blood force trauma, blood force trauma, and I mean that, of Project Wolf Hunting. The problem is that that's all there is. That's what you will remember. So if we put a pin in it for now, uh, I thought of something spontaneously now, and uh, I, I apologize if I'm putting it on the spot here but do, do, do you have a grasp on understanding of if the audience attendance in korea is back to anything you might call like pre-covid numbers um it's it's a very very strange thing though there are periods where you clearly see it isn't and then something will appear and it instantly makes you think bang we're back in fact we're better than we were pre-covid it goes without saying, as we go through, I'm sorry to give a spoiler away, I'm not going to mention the films as yet, but in the next two films that we talk about, I am going to repeatedly 
mention Ryusong Wan. I've already mentioned him once, the action kid of Korean cinema. The action kid who is about 50 years old by now. Well, exactly, like <laughs> but but still looks about 24. Right on. You know, from No Blood, No Tears through Veteran, The Berlin File. Every time he releases a movie, you can guarantee the box office will go through the roof. So even if people are dying in the aisles from COVID, they're going to go and see his film. So he really, his output and, and some other stuff that we'll also mention a little bit later on, really off kilters everything and makes it look like things are okay. They're not back to the way they were, not by a long shot. But there are there are certain films and filmmakers and actors who, regardless of what's going on, will attract pre-COVID audiences because they're so massively popular. So is is, uh, is Park Chan Wook still a hip name or is he old fashioned? Do you think in the eyes of um, audiences? Because I'm thinking Decision to Leave uh, came out a year or two ago. Yeah, totally. But you know, it's the same thing every time. Park Chan announces or even comes close to announcing a new project, he's back to being massively in the limelight again. There there have been a, a couple of recent sort of American smaller festivals going on, and he's actually been popping up talking about how excited he is about the films that they're showing, which are, you know, there's some, some quite old films are showing. Internationally, domestically, he's still one of the, the big guns, if not you know, the most well thought of because, you know, he's royalty. He's he's the veteran. And he's not cranking these out every year either. Park Chan-wook is on a on a on, on a production schedule um, of his own of his own and no one is uh, tapping him like make, 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 can you do a second of something? First two, first two right now. <laughs> yeah, exactly. You know, he, he he plays he plays the field like he wants to play it when he thinks there's something worth doing, it probably means it's worth doing. Same with uh, Bong Joon-ho, uh, I would imagine. Uh, I, I'm not sure he's even uh, even hinted at whatever he's doing off the parasite, but uh, no one is going to argue that you need to make a movie now, and he's going to be like, eh, don't think so. Yeah, I'll do it when I, I'll do it when I'm ready. Well, uh, uh, this is a question I would repeat, I guess, throughout uh, the uh, discussion. Uh, uh, in, any personal notes of yours on the cast, whether they are newcomers, fan favorites, or veterans? In the case of the, the cast of Project Wolf Hunting, you've got a, a real dichotomy going on here. But most of the the main cast, the the younger members, the the guys that are going to be in the midst of the bloodbath are fairly new, be they male or female. They've they've mostly come from television. They've done a couple of movies or a few shorts. One of the main guys, Seoon Gook, who plays Jong Do, who's who's one of the big hard hitting guys, one of the main guys, is actually a, an ex boy band singer. So that's moved into into or trying to move into TVs and movies. So really, apart from one actor, actress in particular, who I'll mention in a second, these are all new guys. And you just think he really just wanted to get as many people as he could, as easily as he could. And he didn't want to spend, I guess, an exorbitant amount on huge names for, you know, the, you look at the number of prisoners, we've got 43 here. So you've got 43 almost main cast members. The action will flip between them. So if, if they were all names, you're sunk. You're not going to be able to afford to, 
you know, make cookies or, or have a cup of tea. The one exception to that is a female actress. She doesn't have a, a, a huge role in this, but her name's Jang Yong-yuk Nam. She's middle-aged, but she is incredibly prolific. She has been. She worked with acclaimed director Jan Jing for years. She's been in a number of um, if you if you think back to when serial killer movies were really popular and they spawned female revenge films where something would happen to a, a normal lady, she would go nuts, exact massive revenge, and then go try to be back to being, you know, the the normal Korean female. Um, she's done loads of that. Azuma, phenomenal film of hers. Um, she was in Hansel and Gretel. She played the mother of the three children. As soon as I say that, hopefully that should remind you of, she's one of those people that you look at her and you think, I know her, I know her, she's really good. What else has I've seen her in? She's been in Harmony. She was in a film that I invested in in 2016 called Remember You with um, Jung Woo Sung. Snowy Road, Miss Beck, another hard-hitting female thing. She's phenomenally well thought of. And she's in Project Wolf Hunting, very, very understated, very, very underused. But if there's one thing to take out of Project Wolf Hunting, it's that she's in it. Look at her, remember her face, and go and search out some of her other movies. Uh, okay, okay, let's uh, switch into, you, you've hinted at it, uh, Project Wolf Hunting. But, uh, so I gather it's not a slam dunk, slam gory dunk as such. Gory it may be, but, but as a film in total... Uh, what is it set up as? Just an entertaining ride, or is it trying to do something serious and substantial? This film is essentially trying to do one of those, we're all in a really self-contained little area, and there's a danger. We've seen it from, if you look at all the classics, you know, from way back at Alien to Underwater, which was actually on TV the other night. You know, all these things, people stuck in small, cramped, situations where where's the biggest danger coming from is it the guy who's in front of you is it the guy who's behind you or is it something else and that's what he's trying to hit here the problem with kim hong's son is he knows he wants to do that so he does it and he does it again and he does it again if this was a musical score rather than a movie the only thing i could say is that he has a guitar with one string, so he can only play one note. And he plays it, and he plays it again. He plays it harder, he plays it softer. But after the first, second, third, fourth, fifth, twelfth brutal, brutal altercation between these bad guys and the less bad guys, it be- can't help but become monotonous. Because you know the mixture could be appealing if done right. I mean, I'm 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 just reacting spontaneously here. But think back to something like from Dusk, Dusk till Dawn, for, that for half of its time is a crime film, and not a very pleasant one. And most of us kind of knew that it's gonna switch. Everyone knows it switches to a horror film, but it wasn't doing. It wasn't like continual excess throughout. And when that excess hit. That was its half, its third. And it was kind of neat how it contrasted against the crime film. Exactly. You know, and at any of the these, you know, oh, we're in a confined space, blah, blah, blah. The, the big part of the story is the story. 
it's there's going to be human or there should be humanity of some sort in there whether it's good humanity or betrayal or there's going to be some human elephant uh, elephant element this film is so slight it misses that point and it's going for the jugular simply to go for the jugular the problem on top of that is i've already said we've got 43 essentially main characters even before the unspoken big bad appears seeing each and every one of them doing similar sort of things it takes away from the claustrophobia if there was any to begin with and it almost dilutes the the bloodiness there's so much blood it doesn't feel claustrophobic enough just before we started tonight's podcast we were talking about a film called our point and it's not the same in any way, shape, or form. But I said to you, I adore our point because of its claustrophobia. And that's what you take away from a film like that, the fact that you actually felt that you were there. With this, you just feel that you're you're watching gory special effects that are decently done, but they're done over and over way too much. You know, at one point, a highlight turns out to be finding out what it looks like to have someone beaten over the head to death with their own arm. That's what we're that's what we're talking about here. There's no story at all. When the big bad does appear, I almost felt like I was watching a video game. In fact, I actually went online to check if this film was based on a video game because it feels it felt like we'd got up to level two you know this is a body count movie once you get to the end you expect to move to the next level and that's the other problem even if this was a video game it wouldn't be a very good one because you get to level two and then the game's over i'm sure they showered the actors with blood to some extent but did it seem like they were trying to adhere to any kind of old-fashioned tradition of creating a lot of practical effects or do you think it there's a lot of special effects here whether good or bad in terms of optical effects and cg and stuff? there's there's a there's a lot of effects i mean they use they do use a lot of liquid as well let's be honest about it so some of it is old school but it's pretty self-explanatory when that's there because they're not going to cgi that amount of, of blood squirting out of whatever but yeah there's there are a lot of effects. again the problem is because it's all in your face and that's all there is that within the last 20 minutes they briefly try and step into the story of an idea of a a government, a super secret government experiment that has created this badness. It's meant to be linked to one of the characters. And this is meant to be the the catharsis of our story, which we didn't have in the first place. But even that, it's stated and then nothing's done with it. And we're back into the same one note guitar solo. He could have done so much more with this it would always just have been a blood fest to to attract people who are into those sorts of things as much as they can be but this this film is 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 storyless yeah you've got convicts on a a big boat who are initially handcuffed what do you think's going to happen we're making a film about convict convicts on a boat on a journey they're not going to get there without some sort of a battle so it, it goes without saying they're going to get out of their handcuffs and from there well you know 
there's no depth to the characters. They are essentially evil, and they know they're evil. That's made clear from the get-go. So, so you know that things are going to kick off, and they're going to keep kicking off because nothing else can happen. We don't know anything else about them. All right, let's. Um, we obviously encourage you to check it out if you can, and uh, there are many ways to do so, as we said. So we're gonna put a pin in it and move on to the second film. So listen to some some audio, maybe from the trailer, if I can find a soundtrack to Midnight from 2021. We're now entering the disc section of this experimental, informal, what's Korea cinema, if you will. So sit tight for 30 seconds or so, and we'll be right back to talk of uh, the disc. Uh, movie of this uh, episode. Welcome back, and the second uh, section is upon you, and it's the disc section. First, it was streaming or digital, and we uh, slotted Project Wolf Hunting in that category. So as for the disc, I picked 2021's Midnight, and the plot uh, goes as follows. A hearing-impaired Kyung Mi catches the attention of Do Sik, a mysterious serial killer that's been stalking their neighborhood. Do Sik targets Kyung Mi. Presuming her deafness will make her an easy target, sparking a twisted game where the killer hides in plain sight. Not the most common setup, so there you go. I have seen this film, by the way, but I won't participate in the review as such. It's been uh, at least a year. So, focusing first on, uh, and really only, because this might be on digital as well, but we're going to focus only on Midnight's disc availability. It was released in the UK by Eureka Entertainment with extras uh, such as a commentary, not by the director, but uh, a, um, an expert. Um, I've forgotten the person's name, pardon me. Uh, there's a video essay in a booklet, uh, including uh, with uh, the disc as well. But this is a Region B release only. Eureka Entertainment do not work in the US or anything. They're Region B release only. It's surely available digitally as well. But again, this section highlights the physical media aspect. So... Moving on to the director, written and directed by Kwon Oh Song. And this is his debut film at 30 years old or so. And I mentioned like the age a little bit fleetingly because according to information, Midnight was filmed in 2019. Yep. It was about to be released in 2020, but withheld due to, co- to the COVID-19 pandemic. It was eventually released in June 2021 in Korea. So post pandemic or post a particular wave of the pandemic that year can can one determine at all if attendance was good within those parameters or not in korea because it is 2021 it wasn't over with uh, the pandemic by that point no it wasn't you know I, I i was actually trying to think back to what stage of waves we were at at that point Se- you know second or third second or third you know um Oh, oh, by the way, I forgot to mention that they, they, when they did release it, it actually had it actually had a simultaneous theatrical and streaming service premiere in Korea on their local service, or at least one of them called Twing. So, uh, yeah. But how did it do, uh, or if one can determine that at all, uh, considering the COVID nineteen pandemic? Regardless of what I think about Midnight, and we'll talk about it in a bit. I've I've quite a lot of good things to say actually, but 
and a few and a few little uh, but I regardless of all that I feel so 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 sorry for director Kwon his film was about to come out in 2019 it would have you know if there hadn't been a pandemic it would have been an even playing ground he could have had his shot etc etc now it's released in 2021 at the same time, and I'm going to say his name again, at the same time... Have your bingo cards ready if a bingo card is only consisting of one name? You know what's coming? Ryu Sung Wan. The exact time that Midnight was released, Ryu Sung Wan released Escape to Mogadishu. Ryu Sung Wan fans in Korea, and I guess internationally, are rabid. There could be zombies at the doors of cinemas and they will crawl past them to get to see his films. It off puts how Korean cinema has been doing post-pandemic. His films always have reactions like this. But the problem with the pandemic times is people would go to the cinema for something they really wanted to see, to have that experience again. But they wouldn't then go again in the next couple of weeks days or the next weekend because they'd been it done it and they didn't want to risk it again for something that was just another film that they could see there are so many films that year that really really paid the price for that let me just give you a couple i know i don't want to be a a a walking calculator but just to give you an idea midnight in terms of korean films only finished the year 23rd in the box office if you add in u.s films it was 67th in the box office it made 700,000 in money in, in equivalent to dollars if we equate you know korean won in dollars it made 700,000 dollars it had 108,000 admissions escape to mogadishu had three and a half million admissions and made 25 million well it probably needed to considering one is a high budget film presumably uh, the action kids film is and midnight certainly didn't cost nine million no exactly and you know and on top of that if we look at the second film in the overall rankings that year was a really really highly acclaimed film called sinkhole which made 16 million so in terms of box office midnight did next to nothing i don't think it's all midnight's fault you know, big director, small director, you uh, you you just had to roll with the punches, I suppose. Uh, you uh, he didn't do anything wrong. Uh, he didn't mistime his uh, production, or it's just one of those things that uh, when March 2020 happened, a lot of plans obviously were put on hold, and uh, no one knew how to resume an industry. Really, there were so many questions unanswered by that point. I mean, in a, in a fairly recent podcast, we actually reviewed Whisper in Corridor 6, The Humming, and we sort of said it had had, you know, mediocre feedback and whatever. The Humming and Midnight were 23 and 24 in, in the box office at the same time. So they both suffered. This uh, simultaneous streaming service, uh, I haven't heard of that service thing. Um, is it uh, like a large platform in Korea or what's the it's, deal there? It's getting bigger. They're, they're trying their best. When... Just before COVID hit, they were they were sort of a fledgling sort of deal. They were they were doing their thing as best they could. COVID actually helped them because it pushed. You know, Korean cinema companies have always been really, really 
aggressively not into the whole screaming, screening simultaneously thing. And it was only COVID that allowed these sort of things to happen. Problem is because TVing or TVing or whatever, whatever way you want to pronounce it, is a smaller sort of service and it's still trying to build. It doesn't give out figures. You know, if, if something's on Netflix, you know how well it's doing. You know if it's the biggest thing. You know if it's being really successful because they let everybody know. Little companies like this don't. So I can't actually tell you how well it did or is doing if it's still available on TV. Because we've never really had that discussion uh, simultaneous theatrical and streaming service premiere when talking about Korean cinema because it seemed that they were still building up to it to maybe do something locally or maybe Netflix will uh, establish themselves in a greater, greater fashion. That's the way it looked. It looked like it was going to be sort of the Netflix career thing was the only way it was going to happen because, you know, for for years, as I say, the the, the companies wanted people to go to the cinemas and they didn't want them being able to see stuff streaming instead. You know, yeah, maybe afterwards, if you pass loads of money, we'll let it, you know, once it's gone and died its death in the cinema. But they were so, so anti it more than any other country you could actually hope to mention. So you would have hoped that would have changed things after the pandemic, but there, it's not as bad as it was, but it's certainly not a fixed process yet. Uh, so yes, let's move on. Uh, obviously, we mentioned that this is the debut film of the director, so we can't really talk about greater career and, uh, as such. I'll, 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 so I'll move on to the, the standardized question, if uh, you have any personal notes on the cast, whether these uh, boys and girls are newcomers, fan favorites, veterans, etc. I mean, um, I, I, I didn't recognize them. There's certainly my, my memory of uh, of the film, having seen it a year ago, is that obviously the hearing impaired character and the serial killer sort of fairly young. Uh, it's not yeah. like the serial killer is 60 years old. Um, so, um, but, but regardless, uh, what is this movie popular with? Uh, newcomers or, or veterans in your eyes? Uh, it's pretty much not newcomers but young upstart if you look at the main female character kyung mi the the little deaf girl she's played by a girl called jin kiju not done very much she's oh okay can i ask you something uh by the way pardon me uh, do we know if she's actually hearing impaired in real life no she's not okay um she's done everything else she's done she's just been you know a, a normal girl whether it be big or small role but this is only she's done tv since 2013 she's done a lot of tv increasingly so uh, midnight's only her second feature her first feature was a film called little forest which is an incredibly gorgeous little film if you want to check out the review on hangul cellulite pop over while we're talking uh wonderful little film she's great in it the main bad guy that the serial killer is played by a guy called we Jun. he's done a few films again he's done a lot of tv he's most now renowned for playing a detective in squid game which was an insanely popular TV show, which I never really got into, to be honest with you. But Glo- global Netflix uh, phenomenon. Exactly, exactly. You know, he's done a few nice little arty horror, arty drama films like Coin Locker Girl, Gonjiam, Haunted Asylum, etc., etc. He's he starred with Sonia Jin in Bad Guys Always Die, which was uh, a joint venture between Korea, Japan whoever else so he's again building himself and then on 
on the other side of things, we've got an actress like Kim Hee-jun who plays the Me and Meal character's sister. She's the first girl who gets abducted by the serial killer. And she's been in some amazing films, Hide and Seek, The Bacchus Lady, Another Child, all really, really well thought of. Park Hoon, who plays the main good bloke guy, um, has been in loads of stuff. He's one of those people you look at and you see his face and you think, I should know who he is. I can't place him. Um, he's been acting since Death Bell, Death Bell, excuse me, way back in 08. He's been in The Pirates, the sequel of The Pirates. He's been in A Violent Prosecutor. He's a big, big name, but nobody knows who he is. And to finally finish, um, we've got the mother of the little deaf girl. The mum is played by an actress called Gil Hae-yun. And she, if you look at her filmography, it's like a a who's who of Korean cinema, you know, I mean, she's, she's been in so much. She was, in, I, I know you're a, a lover of, of Breathless by Yannick Jun. She was in that as the mother. She's been in Reencounter. She's been, she was in The Mimic, which I adore as a hor- horror film. She's royalty. And here she's playing just a mom who's really at a loss for most of her, her role. She's, she's, she's lost in, where's her daughter, what's happening, what's happening, what's happening. And she does a great job, but um, it almost belies just how goddamn famous she really is. A couple of people who never stops working, really. Exactly. You know, she's one of those She's one of those faces that the older you get, you think she's still going, and she's still going, and she's still wanted. She's still brought into all these things. So fair play to her. And, and as I said, I, I didn't re-watch it for this episode. I got the Blu-ray, um, and, and I didn't know anything about the film when I bought it. Maybe no one really knew about the film when Eureka uh, put it out, aside from those uh, who knew that uh, this was uh, a small uh, movie that uh, was uh, delayed uh, due to the pandemic. But I, I do remember that it for a serial killer thriller, it certainly didn't uh, have this... Uh, sort of urge to be super gory it uh, was designed as this little cat and mouse thriller with the serial killer in plain sight throughout most of the film we know who's guilty <laughs> from pretty early on and it becomes like frustrating in a good way because we have a character who can't speak who can't point out that he's there he's there <laughs> like catch him catch him damn it. and i remember like being um it, it felt fresh enough. It felt fun enough. Um, it uh, certainly didn't overstay its welcome. And maybe it had some flaws. But I, I do remember enjoying it as um, as something that didn't feel tropey. I didn't. I couldn't predict it necessarily. And um, it presented a cat and mouse thrill I wasn't expecting because I wasn't expecting anything. I bought it blindly just to kind of support. And um, so, so I was decently satisfied. Um, but uh, I, I'm, that's kind of the last thing i'm gonna say about my opinion that i hardly remember of it <laughs> so what did you think of midnight whether you saw it for the first time now or when it came out in the uk i actually saw it it must have been maybe six months ago but i didn't get hold of it if you know if you know what i mean i i, I saw it just in passing and it was gone and then i you know I, I watched it again for this i have a lot of good things to say about midnight and a few little caveats but any of my caveats please take them with a pinch of salt because they're not meant in any bad way we've got a new director here who is self-confident who is self-assured enough to follow the big guns and and try and make something that's 
somewhat different from the norm, certainly currently. And for the most part, he does, you know, a blockbuster little ride of it. If we go back to 2005, six, the serial killer genre had, had died a death in Korea. Nobody cared. It had all been done. We'd had we'd had our memories of murder. We'd we we we'd been there, done that. Like how like how can you better matters after memories of murder comes out swinging its dick? Like, Indeed. <laughs> and, and then, as we were all saying that, a new director appeared, going by the name of Na Hong Jin, and he produced a film called The Chaser. He created a film, should I say, um, called The Chaser, which not only reinvigorated the serial killer genre and the, the cat and mouse aspect of films, it actually indirectly led to something I mentioned earlier, the whole female revenge thing, because he was so exempt at doing what he did. Other directors wanted to look at it from the female perspective rather than the male. You know, and we know where he went after that. He went to the Yellow Sea and the Wheeling, and he's just stratospheric. But the, the chaser changed a lot, and watching Midnight... I could see where that inspiration had come from. Our director here has no qualms about reaching into the archives and pulling out the best of what he likes and what he knows and doing his take on it. So the the chase scenes are pulse-pounding. They are reminiscent of the chaser. That's not a bad thing. When the serial killer, not to give too much of a spoiler away, enters the little deaf girl's flat, and obviously she doesn't know he's there, Initially, it speaks of films like Doorlock. When we look at the police who are all excessively dumb, it goes back to classics such as Memories of Murder or Missing You. It goes back to The Chaser as well. I remember the, 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 the cops being very daft in uh, The Chaser. You know, what I got the feeling of here is a director who knows what he likes and as a first thing, he's going to put something together that's done almost as a, an homage to those with his own take on it. And am, am, am I misremembering, pardon me, Paulie, am I misremembering the following? What it didn't take from those films was its excessive, gross imagery. This wasn't a very violent film in my memory. No, very much so. Um, there was actually, you do see a little bit of, of blood, but it's a, a little bit, and it's a case of, oh, this is a, for example, a girl who was stabbed three hours ago and is now bleeding a little bit. There's a little bit of red on her blouse and what have you. The biggest violence in it is when the good male character and the serial killer actually come to blows, and they do that more than once. I'm not. I'm not giving away what the story, how the story ends. Yeah, because the serial killer really is front and center. You know, I remember this memory of almost catching him throughout the film like this good frustration come on like tie the knot on this thing but the movie has only ran 60 minutes so obviously there's still uh, developments <laughs> i mean the the one thing that aside from i i like the fact that there's not not that much gore there there is i did a sort of a, a watch and a half i watched it once and then re-watched you know the the first sort of three quarters of it again um, and the one thing that kept coming to mind the second time round was you know, our serial killer, he's he's deeply evil and he's he's very twisted. He plays the role beautifully. He is maniacal. You know, you can just see there's 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 absolute brewing evil in him. He's just a nasty piece of work. And and enjoys the fact that he 
he he can be in plain sight even in front of the law if i remember correctly indeed and she can't point me out but there's there's also a side to it where you sort of after a little bit I, I started thinking he's kind of also really ineffectual because he manages to stab one girl. He doesn't kill her. He doesn't want her dead yet. He wants her to suffer. But every time he goes after someone else for the next little while, something gets in his way. So he, he, he constantly fails. And you just think, you're crap at this. You should really, really give up. Even though, you know, um, that's a little aside. I mean, it's not meant to come across like that. And it doesn't. But if you're looking at it in a tongue-in-cheek way, yeah, he's he's he could do with a little bit more focus and maybe not do so many things in, in plain sight. And and I also remember, pardon me, this is just coming to me, uh, in general, like it, almost like it's it's trying to veer away from the style of the serial killer film. It felt like a very bright film too. Yeah, very, very much so. And, you know, the fact that it's called Midnight and so much of it is at night, it, it actually shines. It really does. There are a couple of caveats from my point of view, and they're, they're minor. They're minor, you know, because the, the chase, the cat and mouse thing does work exceedingly well, especially for a first-time director. This is pulse-pounding entertainment, let's be honest about it. But there are a couple of things that, as a, a Korean obsessive, annoyed me to an extent we've got a young deaf girl and in the early stages she is shown to be let's say feisty in korean cinema historically profiles of the disabled or the different outsider members of society has always been problematic Um, a lot of directors won't go near it for a long time the disabled were seen as not to be seen and not to be heard it was only films like Oasis that sort of started to bring that out and say they're as vital as anyone else. There is as they can be as forceful, they can be as human. And those were beautiful things. And he goes out of his way in the early stages to push that that's what this little lady's about. She goes to a, a work do and they don't want her colleagues don't want her there because she's deaf, but she's determined. So she goes. They're all eating and drinking amongst themselves, kind of making fun of her, thinking that she doesn't know what's going on. So she takes upon herself to start sign language and swear words at them. And they think she's being really nice and she's actually being a nasty little so-and-so, shall we say. Some of the things she actually says are frightening. So you get this whole little feistiness. And as you go through and she's having to face off against this focused maniacal serial killer you get the feeling that she is a smart little cookie she really she gets her head together she she's got her her thinking cap on she knows when she's got to go when she's got to get away what what she needs to do to to cover her tracks and then within about the last 25 minutes korean cinema always does that melodrama thing director kwan gives her a monologue of dialogue which deflates everything he'd done for that character up to that, where she she pleads to say that she doesn't want to die. All she wants is to be able to go places with her mum, get married and have two children like a good Korean girl. And my heart sank because he'd worked so hard to push her forward as this feisty force to be reckoned with on her own level. And at the end, he turned her back into a, you're just 
a career female who should, who needs to, who obviously does know her place and you're appealing to a serial killer asking him to accept that. Th- little things like that jarred for me. There's one other little niggle I'd, I'd like to make a point to. There is a point where one male character has to make a choice and I'm not going to tell you what that choice is. The choice involves either listening to what the serial killer has to say and believing it to be true or not. And the choice he makes made me actually speak out loud in front of the TV and say, I don't buy it. Once you hit a point like that, I see why they did it. But once I hit a point where it's, I don't buy it, you're going to have to fight quite hard to get me back into immersion. Um, so there, there are moments that he doesn't quite manage it or he, he he makes, in my opinion, the wrong tack. But for a first director's attempt, this is this is enjoyment from start to finish, regardless of any caveats there are. Yep, I, I would agree. Uh, a writer, director with talent and certainly um, hope to see more of that, whether he expands on uh, the thriller genre or, or goes in another direction. So And so it's never too late to start. Made his first film as writer-director at 38. That should be encouraging. And the industry allows for that. The industry is not uh, like youth-obsessive in terms of its makers, seemingly. Check it out. I'm sure it's available. I know that uh, Eureka put out probably the limited run was with the booklet. But otherwise, it's going to be in circulation um, as a standard edition uh, in the in the UK. And uh, most people that follow boutique labels and such, they kind of come armed with a region all player in their home by now they, they know that that's uh, worth it because uh, some boutique labels work in specific regions and so forth including eureka uh, so do um, do check it out we're gonna take another music break or listen to a little um little uh, oral uh, oral uh, uh, burst from the newest film in this uh, episode i don't know yet if uh, Paul, through proper means or improper means, have been able to watch this film. So let, let's keep that spoiler-free for now. But we're going to look at the cinema pick of this episode. We had, we had streaming or digital. We had disc. Now we're going to the cinema. So to say, we're going to look at 2023's The Moon or discuss some of its details. Because this is the fresh, sort of freshly released film in a way. So you'll hear all about it in 30 seconds or so. Welcome back, and this is the cinema pick of this um, newly established uh, format to the What's Korean Cinema podcast, but uh, we won't abandon the old format, as we've hinted at. We're going to go back in time to um, uh, to uh, movies that are 20 years old, or part of the then new Korean cinema wave, or maybe even older than that. But uh, this is a little offshoot uh, that I uh, drummed up, and uh, Paul is uh, here to... Um to assist and have assisted uh, quite well in uh, expanding on uh, expanding on these uh, newer films, uh, and uh, we're going to do our best to expand on 
the cinema pick here, and it's called The Moon from 2023. Not an easily Googleable title, but I guess The Moon 2023 Korea should get you, you your stuff. And plot, a uh, little very short plot that I just picked out of um, picked uh, out of uh, thin air, I suppose, uh, IMDb or Letterboxd. In 2029, Korea's lunar probe Wuri embarks on a historic journey to the moon, capturing global attention. And who knows? Perhaps we should not know more than that, because that to me doesn't say whether it's a, a action film, horror film, drama in an enclosed uh, in, in an enclosed setting, and that's fine. You should go into movies that way. But what are we going to do in this section? Well, we are trying to put out the show shortly after recording and editing. Normally, I sit on these things, right? So uh, to make this particular episode as current as possible. So we're going to talk of a movie that's. Uh, closer to its cinema run its cinema life uh, or have just premiered and that's the case of the moon arguably so we have this sci-fi thriller it's touted as uh, the moon and uh, you know depending on the pick as well there might not even be a short review attached to this section because it's so recently released uh, paul uh, might not have access to a screener uh, so uh, we we're gonna program all of this uh, as a or structure it as kind of a tease, something that's coming up, something that's worth looking at as it gets uh, both Korean and Western distribution. So you and I spoke about it, but let's uh, just put that uh, those cards on the table. Uh, the moon is too current for you to have access to any screener, right? Sadly, and believe me, I did not waste any time trying to go through every avenue. Um, just for the time being, I think time-wise... We're close. We're really close, but uh, no cigar as yet. But well, uh, it's cinema run. Uh, we're going to explain a little bit uh, how it's uh, been distributed so far. So, if, for instance, it had an American American theatrical run, courtesy of Wellgo, that started on August 18th, 2023. So its audience expanded. But uh, it's played in Korea. So, uh, so looking back on... I don't know, you, you can include uh, looking back on the Korean films and box office of 2023 as you explain and contextualize how the moon did amidst competitors of uh, this year. And this year isn't even finished yet. So. Indeed. Um, I can tell you straight off the go, Wellgo USA brought it to the USA because of how it did in the box office. This is not a huge director he also wrote the film, but this is not a huge director. He's well thought of in Korea, but internationally, yeah, you're not going to have heard of him as much as, as other names that, that, you know, slip off the tongue like a drop of a hat. When Moon was released, it opened, and it's opening weekend, it made the equivalent of $1.5 million just in its opening weekend, and it shot to number three in the box office. The only thing, as far as I'm concerned, that stopped it from getting to number one was again timing. And do you know whose name I'm going to mention? Have you have you any idea who I might be about to talk about? Who's got their little uh, reason one bell? Yeah, well, <laughs> there you go. <laughs> Does he ever not have a movie out? Well, indeed, at the time of any movie release, the one director you do not want to have a movie out is the action kid of Korean cinema, Ryu Sung-Wan. And here we are for the third time in this podcast. It's the re-release of the Mogadishu film. No, I'm just kidding. Ah, um, Ryu Sung-Wan, at the same time, the same month as Moon came out, released Smugglers 
which is a story of a set of female divers who, funnily enough, become smugglers. Three million admissions. The first film of 2023 in Korea to have three million admissions. The second film in the the so far yearly box office top three was the round out no way out round up no way out starring the inimitable mass dong siok uh, by the way which roundup movie is uh, are we at by now i've only seen the first we are at number two number three is due out next year and number four is due out it's got a tba 2025 on it so but again, you know, as soon as Matt Donsiok's in a movie, his legions of fans are going to flock. So his numbers will, will just skyrocket. So third is something to be hugely proud of for a smaller director. Um, I think it's extra, he should be extra proud of the fact that he's third behind those two titans. As I say, it made one and a half million dollars in the equivalent of one and a half million in its opening weekend so far it has grossed nearly four million dollars and has had over five hundred thousand admissions and has been on over twelve hundred domestic korean seats so moon is has done phenomenally well in the box office for its diminutive size if you like I've not even che- checked out the trailers. I don't have a sense of uh, if this is uh, big concept, small concept, despite the sci-fi thriller of it all. And that's fine. I'll I'll find out when I find out. Maybe when I really um, when I watch it rather than uh, watch any uh, teaser. But uh, this is also we've had writer directors on this um, show uh, discussed writer and directors, and this is also from one. He's called uh, Kim Jong Hwa who's aged 51 at the time of recording. Not his first film, though. He's a veteran of uh, about eight or nine features, uh, ranging from sports films, musical romance comedy, to uh, to a two-part fantasy punch. So, the floor's yours. What can be said about Kim Jong-hwa as a director, his profile with critics and audience, as his kind of genre focus, which seems to be broad, in all honesty? He, he is. You know, uh, Kim started in 1999 uh, which is a fair fair while ago you know right at the age of the new korean cinema wave and through the new korean cinema wave he he did what filmmakers did back then he he played with with the audience and a lot of the audiences at those times were women you know right through to the climax of it um he did a film called 200 pounds beauty which is it's about a large lady, young lady, um, who finds a way to lose weight searching for her perfect man. And it sounds so throwaway, but is one of the most genuinely sweet, warm and affecting little films you're you're gonna see in terms of classic Korean cinema. That's by the way what I based that he's done a musical romantic comedy within his Indeed. filmography. Apparently it's it's laced with enough musical numbers to be deemed a musical romantic comedy. Indeed, and the, there is a, there is a final song that will blow your mind. I'm not going to say anything more than that, but it's well worth a look. It's very sweet, it's very funny. Acting's great. It is throwaway, but uh, it, it's of its time. Um, he also did a film called Take Off, which big action movie, 
does what it does, does what it says on the tin. He did, we, you've said, sports film. He did a, a film about uh, a baseball player, gorilla called Mr. Go. What um, which <laughs> called Yes, called a baseball play, playing gorilla called Mr. Go. Um, again, it sounds so, what? But his stuff, for what it is, is very, very enjoyable. It's very watchable. It's based on a comic, so it's not an idea out of thin air in 2013. Like, what can we do? What can we do? People like animals, right? <laughs> Indeed. You know, he's he's one of those guys that makes films that if you give them a chance, even though you think, oh, do I really want to see that? You'll be pleasantly surprised. Um, of course, more recently, um, he has sort of hit the big time because you mentioned the, the fantasy sort of deal. He's done along with the gods, the two worlds, and along with the gods, the, the sequel as well. He's building. He always does stuff that's different from what he's done before. And I think Moon's a nice extension of that. I mean, if you look at Hollywood cinema, you know, the Moon space aspect has, has quite recently but started becoming really, really popular again. We've got things like Life. We've got, we had Gravity with Clooney and Bullock a few years back. It's that thing of people trying to do something slightly different with I'm from. I'm not going to give spoilers or anything in terms of what you said about the the synopsis. But from what I can see from this, he's using this genre with its renewed popularity, hopefully, to look at things from again a slightly different perspective that may have some originality to it. So I'm excited about this just from that alone and that's before we get to the cast and and only about three main persons listed which might make sense if it's a, a movie that's about that uh, isolation obviously uh, being about a lunar probe mission so uh, this i even i know that at, at the very least one in my eyes grand veteran the star of a very difficult film that you've uh, already mentioned uh, meaning difficult uh, uh, difficult in terms of a uh, controversial uh, different uh, portraying persons uh, outside of society with mental conditions and so forth and that very person uh, i recognize from the film oasis and who is that person's name that is Sol Kyunggu. he is indeed a veteran he is one of those actors that again you look at his face and not only do you think i know him you you actually recognize what he's been in he's been in endless stuff right through new korean cinema right through to the present day he's worked with everyone he was in peppermint candy which is just a mind-blowing classic classic film he was in all the public enemy films he was in hyundai uh, which is tidal wave rather than the korean car etc etc he's been in loads of again reason one stuff he's been in he's been in the merciless he's been he's done oceans of stuff he's a veteran he's highly rated he's a big name he's almost i guess if you like the korean tommy lee jones or you know it's that name that that gives gravitas it, it, it's a very distinctive face that's suited for character parts whether main or in support you know it's um he's certainly never in my eyes in the few films i've seen been slotted into well let's make him pretty what what you see is what you get and the great thing about sokyo is that 
he is adamant about choosing the right projects for him. He won't let anyone blanket bomb him into doing something, you know, for because it's a big budget thing and we want you listed with these other people's. He does something, it's because he wants to do it. And the fact that he wants to do a smaller film like this just again sends shivers up my spine as to how exciting this could hopefully be. I, I was guilty of, but this is because I don't watch Korean cinema frequently, of not immediately even recognizing his face so like Gyeonggu when I watched the memoir of a murderer right uh, but what a gr- granted he, his uh, character design and his demeanor without spoiling that film is not like uh, oh, straight out of Oasis it's he's probably great up to a degree and uh, he's uh, a bit more frail by design so it's not like he is a character actor that you immediately go like bing 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 five of those movies you you can rattle off off the top of your head when you see him which is a good thing he 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 immerses himself himself in roles yeah he really he he does have a, a chameleon sort of vibe to him he can play so many different parts and some of course you'll recognize them but the 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 people are entirely different and some like you know sort of murder you 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 end up looking and thinking is is it is it it looks kind of like him but i'm not oh it, it oh it is him um so you know fair play to him for that it's not a case of here we go here's a cardboard cut out of me as an actor and i'll go through the 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 motions he's 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 great at fitting into a role and actually inhabiting that role as that role rather than as an actor playing that role and and it suggests again i don't want to spoil it for myself that while he shares a starring credit with another person that i'm sure you're going to mention the poster suggests that they don't have a face-to-face type of uh, dynamic in the film that the 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 poster suggests that um, one actor is in isolation quite a bit you're exactly right and i'm not going to go any further if you if you want to it'll be easy to find the synopsis online if you wish but i'm not going to do that for you but yes they are not face to face that other actor who who plays the astronaut is a guy called do kyung su he's been in a couple of films he's a new guy he was in cart which is uh, about work unions and uh you know riots and, and forms of it um quite a deep deep film he was in along with the gods funnily enough because same director um he he made his his acting name in a film called swing kids which i honestly haven't seen but people that have said for what it is it's a good movie but his big thing is that up until recently he was actually a member of a a boy band a k-pop band called exo and he's another one of these guys who's trying to make the transition normally that would make me cringe but from what i've seen of the little trailers of this this might this film might actually suit what he's trying to do. So I'm gonna well willing to give him the benefit of the doubt on that kind. The other main cast member, although, you know, albeit slightly less main cast member, is 
uh, a veteran lady alongside the veteran status of Song Kyung called Kim Hae-e. She started in Korean cinema in 1983, way before the new Korean cinema wave. She she made a huge name for herself right through to 93 in various, various classic movies, too many to mention. And then she stopped. She left. We assume she went to raise a family. Um, we assume that in the way of so many actresses, of her time they go start a family and you never see them again thankfully she came back in 2014 from the the begging of a director to star in a, an astonishing drama called thread of lies and since then she skyrocketed again she was in a a story a film called her story which is about the the sex slaves of the second world war which will rip you apart her performance is astonishing and she's also done tiny tiny little films like moonlit winter which is about love and betrayal it's it's a very again a very very small cast and it's all on her shoulders and she carries it the whole way she is phenomenal started started very young because uh, when i pull pull up her picture 1983 how young was she when she started in 1983 yeah she was uh, not even 20 at that point so obviously she's not too old for the uh, for the film industry and uh, not not a terribly old uh, lady either so uh, yeah indeed and it does have to be said you know for the age that she is which isn't old she's holding it together really well and astonishingly a very dignified looking lady and she's an incredible actress so put her together with Sol kyung if this was just a, a film of them talking about the moon, I'd, I'd want to see it anyway. So I'm, I'm excited on every level in terms of those cast members. So there's no apparent uh, news items out there that, oh, this is coming to the UK as well, blah, blah, blah. I assume it's a cinema run in America from Wellgo has either concluded or is about to conclude uh, we're at the end of september now it's been in cinemas for a month and that should mean that a digital release whether buy and rent day one or just buy day one rent two weeks later sometimes to do that with digital that uh, should be upon us somewhat soon from well going america so obviously you need to be able to access uh, american services to buy or rent it but uh, that that's not terribly hard though very much so, but if 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 history repeats itself, you know, once well go, lets it go. Before long, you're going to see it. Certainly in the UK, I I have I have full belief that it will appear. I don't know. There's been no announcement that I've seen of what company might do it, but I I would almost guarantee it. It's just a matter of time, and I don't think it'll be that long. Indeed. So uh, we've uh, we've kept the moon vague for ourselves and you as well, but. Um... That doesn't mean uh, discussing it for 20 minutes uh, or what's uh, there, uh, who's in it and so forth is a waste of time. This is designed as us telling you of a, of a film that's uh, kind of upon you. And if you had a chance to see it in, in America uh, at cinema screens, do let us know what, we, what it was like. I'm, I'm sure it wasn't super, pa- super packed because uh, these movies are not super packed when they go on export. That doesn't mean it's a depressing notion. It's a limited cinema run. It's not on thousands and thousands of screens in one go or anything. Uh, but I uh, hope, uh, hopefully, um, some of you uh, went out there. I know a couple of people I follow on on Twitter. They seem to uh, 
go out to every new Chinese, Hong Kong or Korean film because they're at a location that's advantageous. Whatever Wellgo presents, Wellgo has not branded themselves as Korea only, Hong Kong only, China only. So they, they normally they normally present a, a, a sort of a, a scope to the releases that they pick, which is nice. So therefore you can get Korean stuff from Wellgo. You know, I mean, certainly in terms of their Korean stuff, they should be proud of themselves for choosing interesting stuff rather than just popping out the next blockbuster. They, they, there seems to be a thought process there. And I would assume it's the same with the other stuff they do. Well, 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 we are, we are going to do our best. Uh, maybe we'll uh, inject a quick take opinion of the moon in another episode. Who knows? But uh, do follow us on social media and we might share our opinion when we have seen the moon. I'm quite uh, keen to keen to watch it based on nothing because I don't want to know anything really. Uh, let's just uh, entertain that notion. It's not a very common notion that you go in blind into movies, but uh, this is certainly... Yeah, it, it certainly motivated me to motivated me to uh, just uh, just hit it up, man. It's not going to be uh, more than two hours out of your life, and I'm sure those numbers meant that um, there was some decent critical notices as well in Korea. So hopefully, it's a qual- quality film, and uh, will. Uh, uh, I mean, I mean, going back to along with the gods, were were those uh, those fantasy movies to your liking, or that's not generally your 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 bag? So to say. Not generally my bag, but I, I thoroughly enjoyed them in general. I find that sort of stuff kind of throwaway, but I was entertained. And if memory serves, they did fairly well. At the, at the very least, the first seemed to have an impact. Yeah, the, the, the first did really well. The second, yeah, decently so. Not quite as well, but yeah, it, they, they, they certainly held their own. Uh, Okie dokie. Thanks for taking a chance on this um, different format to what's Korean cinema. The old format isn't going away, and I'm going to try to keep this format flowing as well. Obviously, a bit intermittent, but uh, but hey, uh, I, I enjoyed the fact that we got some uh, views out of it, and uh, you have you have stuff you can check out now, stuff that it's uh, that is around the corner. If you feel like uh, searching out the moon, uh, it's going to be available to you uh, surely. Uh, if you listen to this at the end of the year, surely there are options available to you. For instance, hopefully so. Fingers crossed. Uh, but yeah, so uh, we're going to finish this uh, episode of uh, What's Korean Cinema? And uh, this is What's Korean Cinema is uh, currently a mixture of uh, sci-fi thrillers and little, little serial killer thrillers, uh, among other things. So uh, for all your Podcast on Fire network needs, including the back catalogue of What's Korean Cinema, go to podcastonfire.com. We're available on Apple Podcasts or Spotify. And wherever you find podcasts, uh, links to our social media, including my letterbox, for instance, Twitter, Facebook, and so forth, all on the website in the show post. So that's it for my plugging. We're going to include uh, little, some some linky links to Hang On Celluloid as well. But anything you want to say in terms of plugging it? Uh, just thanks for listening, guys. Uh, if you're bored, uh, pop over to Hang On Celluloid. A lot of the films we mentioned in passing tonight, a lot of them. Um, have already been reviewed or on the site so if any of those grabbed your fancy in any way go and have a little look and uh, hopefully we'll catch up with you soon Excellent. And um, as a tease, look out for a, a sort of normal episode, regular episode on the film Our Point in the future. So I'm going to leave it at that. And uh, my name is and uh, was Kennedy for this episode. And with me was uh, Paul Quinn. So say goodbye, buddy. Thanks for listening, people. See you later. Mm-hmm.